I am finishing up the Psalms this morning, as Sarah said. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. We're going to come back to the Psalms next year, but we're going to have a break for Christmas, and obviously it's going to be fantastic. We're excited to see what God does over that season. And for now, let's finish off looking at Psalm 67. So if you'd like to turn to that in your Bibles, Phil, do I need to do something with my microphone? Is it crackling? (laughs) Everyone's running around. It's very disconcerting. So while you find it in your Bibles, I would love to be able to give you some context about this psalm, but I can't. (laughs) We're not told very much. You'll see as you open your psalms, we are given the, it's to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. We don't know who's written this psalm. We don't even know who the choir master is. Now, some commentators say it it might even be God himself. The psalmist is referring to God. Actually, there's some uh, debate that it could be a uh, psalm in response to a harvest, in thanks to a harvest. Actually, others say, no, do you know what? This is is all future tense. It's really just a prayer towards God for the future as his people. So there's loads we don't know, but I want to start with what we do know, which is this is a brilliant psalm. It's a fantastic psalm. It's a real beautiful prayer. This really missional psalm focused on the nations, focused on God's heart for all mankind. And it's a picture of God's amazing plan. It started right back in the Garden of Eden, and it will find its completion when Jesus returns. And we know that he will come, and one day every knee will bow before him. I think we sung that this morning, didn't we? So God's plan was, and still is, and will always be, to have an earth that is filled with the glory of God. We're going to look at this morning how that rolls out in the Old Testament, a bit of what that looks like in the New Testament, and we're going to look at some application for us today. As you can see, it's meant to be sung alongside instruments, stringed instruments. I'm not going to do either of those things. I'm just going to read it. Someone someone just sighed, like they were excited for that to happen. It would not be a blessing, I promise. So, let's read. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So I want to look at three points today. I want to look at from this psalm the blessing of God. I want to look at the saving power of God And in response, I want to look at the praise of God's people. So you might have noticed this psalm starts off, it's bookended by blessing. It starts off with the blessing of God and ends with the blessing of God. It's lovely. And it starts with this prayer that God would bless them and ends with this confident declaration that God will bless them. Now, verse 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. It might sound familiar to some of you. Does anyone recognize it? Abby's nodding. Abby, do you want to have a punt at where it is? Anyone? Numbers. Numbers. Chapter. Come on, Paul. Oh, come on. Any advance? Number six. Yeah, you're cheating, Si. Anyone else? Does anyone know the verses? Close. Switch. Switch. Yeah, 23, Tom. Well done. 
<laughs> Numbers 6, 23 to 27, and it's known as the priestly prayer. It's a prayer that God gives to Moses, Moses gives to Aaron and his sons, and they're to serve God's people as priests. I often, when I hear it, I don't think priestly prayer, I think that pandemic song, which I shouldn't, but I do. Um, and you're probably familiar with the song. It was a beautiful song that came out, Carrie Joe wrote it, based on these verses just before the COVID pandemic hit. And it became this viral sensation over the internet, didn't it? And I, I am joking, it was a brilliant song, and the reason it became a viral sensation is because the lyrics are beautiful and based on scripture. But it was a real powerful message and a real blessing to the church at that time when we couldn't be God's people together. So... We're actually going to look at it from the Bible and not from Carrie Job, but I'm going to read it out. It says, the Lord bless you. I'm starting in 24, by the way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So it's really similar to what we read in the psalm today. And there's some commentators suggest, actually, this psalmist might well have been at a recent festival or been at, at a gathering where this blessing was read. And actually, he's just reflecting on that. And it's, he's calling it to mind, and he's using it as like a springboard for the rest of this psalm, the rest of this prayer that he's making to God. But I want us to realize that both here and in the original priestly blessing, when the psalmist is calling out in verse 1, that everything in the prayer is initiated by God. It is God that shows grace to his people. It's God who blesses his people. And it is God that makes his face to shine upon his people. So when he's calling out here for God's blessing, it's not just a figure of speech, which we do sometimes. In fact, I think I did it with the Carrie Job song. I said oh, it was a real blessing to the church. And, and that was right. It was a real gift from God. It encouraged us. But when the psalmist is talking about blessing here, he isn't just using it in that kind of figure of speech way that we do. He is calling on the presence of God. When he's asking for God to turn his face towards his people, he is calling on God to, um, to uh, kind of continue that special relationship that he has with his people, to be with them by his presence. He is calling on the presence of the almighty God to come upon his nation. The same God that made the universe, the same God that is almighty, that is perfect and holy, he holds everything together. He chooses this nation of people, these Israelite people, who, let's face it, no better than us, but they make mistake after mistake. They turn away from God. They come back to him. They turn away from God. And then mistake after mistake happens. And yet, it's not about what the Israelites can do. It's not about the sacrifices that they had to give or the rituals that they had to make. It was just, they were just there to point them to the fact that they weren't able to do it on their own. That in our own strength, we cannot be good enough or try or earn enough favor. But actually, God can, and he did. And in verses 3 and 5 in the psalm, as we skip forward, you see this little refrain, this, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And so, verse 4 says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And actually, we should see echoes here, reflections here of the covenant that God makes with his people in the Old Testament. The covenant he makes way back um, in Genesis with Abraham. 
Genesis 17, we read that no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, which literally means that he will be made the father of a multitude of nations. And this is a theme of God blessing his people that we see throughout the whole of history. So God blesses his people for his glory because of his graciousness and his kindness towards his people that definitely are undeserving and they don't deserve him. And that's not just a, a history lesson for us today. It's not just for us to look back on and think, oh, that was interesting. If we know Jesus today and we love him, then it is our history. We're told in Galatians that in verse 7, it, it says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So if we know Jesus today, we are Abraham's offspring. Which leads us into our second point this morning, which is I want to look at the saving power of God. It's mentioned in verse 2 of this psalm. And why then, if the psalmist is so desperate for God to bless his people, why is the psalmist calling out that God be gracious to his people? Verse 2 tells us, it says, So that God's way is made known on earth, that his saving power is made known among all the nations. So God's plan for all the nations to be blessed and receive his salvation, it was always his first plan, his original plan. It was never an accident that you're here today. It wasn't that God sort of thought, the Israelites are being a bit of a pain, I'll just invite some more people in. That wasn't God's plan. God's plan was always to have an earth that is filled with the glory of God. So the psalmist is saying, God, will you bless us? Would you bless your people so that we can bless the nations around us so that your rule and your power is made known on the earth? More than that, he says his saving power, doesn't he? And that's the promise that we live in the good of today. The, the saving power of God who saved us is the relationship, is the way that we come into relationship with God, isn't it? And actually, that's our privilege as, as God's people. And if you don't yet know Jesus today, then that's your invitation as well. That God is a God of forgiveness. He is a God who just shows immeasurable kindness, who longs for his people to turn back to him. And if you don't know Jesus, he longs for that to be true of you. And he invites you to come and get to know him today. We're told in Ephesians, which is a book in the Bible, it's in the second half, and it's a letter that somebody called Paul writes. Uh, we're told, actually, that all of us, or all of us here today, would be strangers of the promises of God. That Actually, we were without hope and without God in the world. But this is what Paul says. He says, now in Christ Jesus, those of you who were far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So... None of us had the right to be here this morning, but actually we do because of the blood of Christ, because of the blood he shed on the cross for us. That's why we get up here and we talk about it and we come every Sunday and we sing about it. And actually, if you would like to know more about that this morning, we would love to talk to you. If you've come with somebody, a family member or a friend, please ask some questions. They would love to answer them. Uh, contact the office if you'd rather, if you're online, or come and talk to me after if you're here. And I would love to answer those questions too. So, 
We're blessed by God so that in turn we can bless other people. And we'll come back to that later. But before we do, I just wanted us to quickly look at verse 6 as well. We talked about that blessing of God. And we said, actually, it ends, this psalm ends with this really confident declaration that God shall bless us. And the psalmist is so sure that God will bless the Israelite people with his presence and show them his saving power because it's dependent not on him, not on the Israelite people, but on God. And the ongoing covenant that God makes with his people, when we we see it in this psalm, don't we? We see it with Abraham, that he will bless all the nations. Um, We haven't got time to go into it today, but it's in Isaiah. We see the promise when the covenant, when the temple is established. Um, We see it through Moses. There's loads of times in the Old Testament where God reveals that all the nations will be blessed. And the psalmist knows, therefore, that this promise can be trusted because it's one that is made by the eternal God. It's made not by human emotion or by indifference, but it's on the kindness of the promise-keeping God of the Bible. And by that same logic and by the fact that we see God's promises perfectly fulfilled in the life of Jesus, we too can have confidence in his promises today and we too can know that that is true for us today. God chooses to dwell with us, his church, doesn't he? And God was meet, God's meeting with us now. He met with us this morning. He meets when we gather because of his kindness to us. He wants to reveal his saving power to his people. With this psalm, um, there is no mention of I either. And I know it does appear in some of the psalms. But actually, um, he's constantly saying, God, bless us. Be gracious to us. He's talking about God's people. And actually... We are God's people this morning as well, aren't we? Now, there are times when we worship is very personal. And of course, we are meant to engage with God within the week. You know, we don't just come once a week and it's only when we're together that God meets with us. But actually, as a people, um, the biblical norm for worship is done in the context of community. We are his people. We're his bride. We're family. Jose said it and Chris prayed it this morning. We are family because we've been knitted together as Christ's bride We've been made and created for God. Sai looked at this a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to go on too much more. But actually, we can't do church on our own, can we? So, we are created to be this community of God who worships God together. Which leads us into my final point, which is just to spend some time looking at how does that impact me? How does that impact us? What does that look like for us as we respond being part of God's people today? Throughout the psalm, we've seen this like toing and froing. We look at God blessing his people, and then we look at his people praising him. So we've looked at the blessing. And let's look at what it looks like to praise God. I don't want to mention sung worship together this morning. Rob did that really well last week. I don't think I need to. But as people gathered together, our worship and our praise is so much, not so much more than kind of just singing, because singing is really important, and if you don't believe me, listen to Rob, but actually, it's so much more than the times that we gather and sing. I want to look briefly what I think we can draw from this psalm, which is I want to look at our life, our corporate lifestyles, how we act as a body together, and I want to look at joy. So in verse 2, we saw that the psalmist is asking for God's way to be made known on the earth. And we 
have a responsibility to play within that. So within the Old Testament, we see chapters and chapters and chapters of guidelines for the Israelite people, of, of ways that they are to, um, rituals they're supposed to go through for purification and ways that they're to live. Now, we've said that is not about the Israelites doing better. It wasn't about them being good enough to come to God. But actually, there is an element within those um, rituals, within those um, ways of living, that they, um, they were called by God to be set apart, that they were this holy nation that he had created for him and for his glory. And so they were called not to engage with other cultures, weren't they? We know that um, they were told not to marry with people from other cultures, not to engage with these false gods. These na- many of these nations, these cultures around them, were dishonoring God by the way they worshipped other people. They were dishonoring each other, often dishonoring their own bodies. And actually, the, Bible, the, the Old Testament was really clear that the Israelites were to live differently, that they were to honor God and live in a way that conducted themselves that brought him glory. From this and from um, the New Testament and the way that Jesus lived as well, we, and what he said, we can draw the same conclusions. Actually, how we live as a group of people, it really matters in the same way that it mattered with the Israelites, that it matters to God, it matters to one another, it matters to ourselves, but it matters to those around us who don't know God. It impacts them. It says that God's way can be, made on the, way can be shown on the earth through the way that the Israelites lived their lives, and actually through the way that we live our lives, we can reveal God to people that don't know him. As we spend time in relationship with God, as we give him permission to change our hearts, and as we understand exactly how perfect and holy God is and how much he loves us, the sacrifice he made for the, just the horror of our sins... Actually, it, it, it causes us to change. We come to God and we delight in him and we bear fruit as a result of that. And Matthew says that we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So we praise him together with our whole lives. We want to be people that are authentic and sincere, don't we? We don't want to be people that say, pretend we've got it all together and pretend that we're very good and we're very holy and we... We are, you know, we're worthy of God just because we are wonderful people. Because actually, some of you might be, but I'm not. And actually, we don't want to be kind of not authentic and sincere, but we want to be people who are really honest about our flaws and honest about our failings, but actually who are passionate about the forgiveness of Jesus and what he's done for us and how he changes us as we walk with him. One the less, one, ooh. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 12, says that we walk in a manner that's worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So as an outworking of God calling us into his kingdom, as an outworking of God saving us by his grace, we are to live lives that are worthy of him. So we live as people set apart, not trying to do so, not striving to be better, but by the life-changing power that Jesus gives us. Just like the Israelites are called to be a nation that witness to those around them, we are called to be a nation that witness to the town around us, our families, our friends. 1 Peter declares that we are a chosen people. Really familiar words, but let's hear them again. A chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And it says, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. We need to be people that are characterized by his presence and who are standing on the truth of God's word. We need to be people that are changing day by day to be more like Jesus through his life-changing power. And that's how we show the nations God's ways and live for him by living with him. I said I wanted to talk about joy as well. And in verse 4 of the psalm, the psalmist declares that the nations be glad and sing for joy. I don't know about you, but I'd love to be characterized as someone who is glad and sung for joy. But before I go on, I just want to point out joy isn't happy. Um, Happiness is an emotion. It comes and goes. Uh, It might depend on whether your sports team has won. If you've forgotten about a cup of tea and it's gone cold and then you can't drink it, that is enough to make me not feel happy if I was happy. You might be less fickle than me. It might depend on if you tread on a bit of Lego or if your favorite biscuits aren't on sale in Tesco anymore. Actually, our emotions change, don't they? Some of us, they might be in better control of them than others, but mine change all the time, and I know that I can't always trust them. But in Luke 2, and we have to have a a quote from the Nativity narrative because we're basically at Christmas, it says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And that's the angels talking to the shepherds. And actually we're told here, aren't we, Jesus comes to give us joy, great joy. But joy and gladness in our lives are the outworking of this blessing that we have from God. It's the outworking of this knowledge that God is for us, that he shows us favor, that his face is turned towards us, that he comes to us by his presence. And it's a life that's lived in deep contentment because of that blessing, because of what Jesus has done for us and because of who God is. So it can be expressed in happiness, it should be, and often will be expressed in happiness, but it is so much richer because it doesn't wane when our happiness wanes. It keeps us rooted in what is important, and it keeps us resting in the knowledge that our lives are not ours and they're not in our control. Now, if you look up joy in the New Testament, it's worth doing, I would encourage it, not just because it it does back up my claims, which is what you want when you're preaching the Bible, but actually, it's surprising in the sense that it's not all about dancing for joy, singing for joy, jumping for joy. It talks about knowing joy when we face trials, and knowing joy through persecution. It's so much deeper than our emotions or than fleeting enjoyment. So why do the nations, or should the nations, sing for joy? It is because of this amazing blessing, yes, and this relationship with God, yes. But that's not what the psalmist says here. The psalmist's main reason is because God judges the people with equity or with justice. And I would love to look at it more. We haven't got loads of time, so I won't go into it in tons of detail. But actually, God is judge over all the earth, isn't he? And we don't always talk about it loads in the UK. But we know that we, we know that we can freely touch God. We're told, aren't we? Come into the, you know, God's presence boldly. 
um, with confidence. And that is right, and we definitely should do that. But actually, how easy is it to sort of skip before God and just forget that actually there is no way that we should ever be able to approach him of our own strength. That this God that we worship, he is holy, God is perfect, he judges the earth with justice. And yet we can come before him with our brokenness, we come before him with the most shameful things that we've done with the, just the tendencies that we have just to be you know, vain and selfish and all those things that would prevent us coming before the most perfect God who created everything. And God hasn't turned away from that sin this morning. He hasn't thought, do you know what? It doesn't really matter. I'll just let that one slide. He can't do that because God is perfect and he is a perfect judge and he judges with justice. But what he has done is taken that punishment for us, hasn't he, through Jesus. Actually, the judgment that was fully mine, that was fully yours, has been paid when Jesus died on the cross, every bit of it. So, obviously, we come boldly into the presence of God. But as we do so, let's remember that God is a judge and a God of justice and a God of the universe. And the only way we come in is just by his grace and his kindness to us. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4 says, he's talking about God and he says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. If someone was in court and they'd wronged me and they were put before a judge, I wouldn't want a corrupt judge, would I? I wouldn't want somebody who was going to take bribes or who would be swayed by emotion. He might have forgotten his cup of tea that morning and he might be in a bad mood. I would want a judge who is upright, a judge who judges with integrity, a judge who believes in the um, service that he's doing and believes in the justice service and wants to uphold that. Obviously, none of us, that analogy falls short because none of us are perfect. Um, But actually, it is because... God is a perfect judge, and because he judges with justice, that I can trust him with my whole life. And as the verse says, that we can trust God to guide us, that we can trust God to guide the nations upon earth as well. So in this verse, verse 4, the psalmist says that God is both judge, but he also says that he guides the nations upon the earth. I was going to try and find it, but I can't. um... Oh, it's there. (gasps) There you go, thank you. I've just been watching the whole time thinking my PowerPoint isn't working, it hasn't moved. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. And we're meant to see the parallel in that. We're meant to read these verses together. It's like, remember we talked about Psalms being like poetry. Actually, these verses complement one another. The second part of this verse expands on the theme of God as judge. It gives us more information. And I love this parallel between judge and guide. And when sometimes God has to guide us, it does look like correction, doesn't it? It looks like God's steering us back onto the path we've strayed off of. And he is judge over our lives. But actually, as Sai so helpfully unpacked when we looked at Psalm 23 and Psalm 40, God is so gentle with us in the way that he guides us. He's like a shepherd. He treats us with mercy and with tenderness. So, on the one hand, we submit our lives to God because he's judge over the whole earth and he is in control of our lives and we are not. 
which is completely countercultural, isn't it? To submit your life to somebody that isn't yourself and to let someone else make judgment calls on the way people have treated you. That's totally opposite to what we're told in our culture. But the Bible is clear that is what God deserves, that we lay our lives out before him as an outworking of praise and worship. We live, give our lives in surrender. And that means that we give up our own agendas. We lay aside our own plans. We lay aside our own finances because we want God to be in control of them and not us. But the incredible thing is as we do that, as we say, God, you're judge in my life, and I'm not. You are judge over the nations, and I'm not. Actually, the Bible is clear that God comes so gently and guides us um, like a shepherd. He, he sort of protects us. He brings us in kindly with tenderness. He protects us from harm in the way that shepherds, as Emmy said, shepherds watch over their sheep even while they rest. So he paints this beautiful picture of the judge and the guide, and that's the reason that we sing for joy and with gladness. So just before we sum up this morning, it would be really remiss of me to spend the whole time looking at this incredible missional psalm and not mention our heart, or God's heart for the nations and for the gospel. Actually, there is practical implications for, for us within that, isn't there? We know those really familiar verses that the promise of God is to fill all the earth with his glory. And in Acts, we are told, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We've already said God's heart is for always for the nations. And we know from Revelation that actually God's people will be made up of a great multitude from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, all languages, and we will stand together before the throne. Within this psalm, we see mentions of a harvest, don't we? And that's obviously a physical harvest, as the um, psalmist is referring to a physical harvest of what they've grown. But actually, Jesus tells us, doesn't he, that there is a great harvest, a plentiful harvest, one not of of crops, of fruit, of, of you know, um, grains, but actually of his beloved children. God's heart is that none may perish and all will come to repentance and faith in him. And from this psalm, I think we see the implication that God's people have a role to play in that. We are to make God's ways known through the way that we live. We are to make God's ways known to those on earth. And actually, we have that responsibility, obviously, verbally. We tell people about what Jesus has done for us. We talk about our church and we invite people to things from church because we want them to know what Jesus has done for us and we want them to know what Jesus can do for them, that he can change their lives, that he can heal their hearts, that he can bring forgiveness from their sin. And we do that, obviously, by telling them. But actually, I felt as we respond, there were a couple of people. Um, God just wanted you to respond in a couple of different ways this morning. Firstly, um, there's people, uh, and you've probably written their names already on these amazing stars that Kate's made, but actually there's names up here of people you've prayed for. Some of them you've been praying for for years, and actually you're, you're weary and tired of praying for them. And actually, I, I can relate to that. Like You've just prayed for people for years and not seen them come to God, but God wants you to pray again. As we respond in worship, pray for those people again with fresh faith. He wants you to keep asking for opportunities, keep reaching out to them, keep telling them about Jesus.
some people as well. Um, I felt like God had, uh, you, a long time ago, God called you to serve the nations, as in physically, over, overseas, you're physically to serve the nations. And you've been, that's been staring in your heart again. And God just wants you to come and just uh, chat to someone on the pastoral team and respond and be prayed with. And some people this morning, some of us, we just felt challenged about our lifestyle, the way that we've been living. And actually, you just know that, um, as I was talking, that your life isn't really being lived in a manner worthy of God, like we said in 1 Thessalonians 2. And I'd love you to respond, because I feel God just really wants to reveal his heart um, and just the joy of your salvation back to you. He wants you to fill you with your Holy Spirit and just remind you, his Holy Spirit, and remind you of the love that he has for you and the, the passion that he has for you and just really fill you afresh with joy um, and just for you to know that the joy of the Lord is your strength. But I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up now as I sum up. Thanks. Maybe we can just stand and we'll ready our hearts Just be thinking of those people that God wants us to pray for. So as we sort of stand back and look at this psalm as a whole, we just get this amazing picture, as I said, of God and his people. And we see God's heart for us. We see that he's just shown us grace and favor, and he blesses his people with his presence, which is not earned, that we shouldn't deserve. It's unmerited and given to us freely. It started with the creation of the world, We are part of that, and it finds its completion when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. And we know that we'll stand forgiven and free from that judgment because it's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And it's because we see God's grace for us that as his people, we've got strength to live lives together that will declare his ways, declare his love, his holiness, his justice, his kindness... As we live in a place of joy and gladness, we can declare to all the nations, we declare to our town, our family, that actually this is our God that we worship. Thanks.